be with you today in a place of prayer and praise to the Lord. And Pastor Brock is going to come with the team and they're going to lead us. And so I trust that you're ready to enter in. Why don't we, uh, we'll grow a little bit here. I can just tell seeing even people come from the foyer. Why don't we sing a song together at the very beginning? Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Oh, come let us adore Him. Christ the Lord. Can we stand together? We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give Him all the glory. We'll give Him all the glory. Christ the Lord. Amen. So good to have you with us. If it's your first time here, make sure to take one of those cards and fill it out. Get a mug on the, the ministry wall out there as a gift from us and let us know you are here. Be blessed today. Enter in. Let's hear from the Lord. And uh, I'm going to pray for us right off the kicks. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for us. We stand in awe of you today. And I ask God that as we start this service, there would be an expectation that would come up in our hearts. You are God. We are not. We face life, and it happens every day. Circumstances that are bigger than us are not bigger than you. You are able to do more, and you are working in ways in the background that we cannot sometimes see or understand. But we hold to you. We, we grasp a hold of you and say, God, as long as you are there, as long as your presence goes with us, there's nothing that we cannot handle. I ask it today, God, that you'd help us to enter into praise and to just glorify your name. And I pray, God, that as we glorify you, your Holy Spirit would continue the work that you're doing in our hearts and taking us deeper and confronting the issues and the character issues of our life and the the areas where we have not loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. So teach us today by your Holy Spirit. We will give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll bring a few housekeeping items to you a little bit later on, but let's enter in and worship the Lord today. I wanted to share a little bit about my, uh, my trip. I'm not sure if you were aware, but last Sunday after church, we uh, kind of quickly hatched a plan to fly down to Asbury for the revival. Uh, Sunday afternoon, we left Monday morning. So it was a, a bit of a hasty trip. It was a 12-hour drive there, and uh, it was wonderful. I don't know if you've heard, but there was a revival that happened in Asbury Theological Seminary in Willamore, Kentucky, which I think the town had a gas station and a corner store kind of thing. There's, there's nothing there. It's close to Lexington, if you know where that is, but... Uh, me and a few others went down and ventured the drive. We tried to sleep in the car the first night. That didn't go very well, but uh, we did it. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to share a little bit about what it was like there. There was 
thousands of people who gathered. Some drove farther than us uh, to be there, that God was doing something, and people thought it was worth the drive to get there. So just a couple things. Um, it, it started when they finished their chapel service one day, um, and there was a dozen students or so who all kind of independently felt, oh, I feel like I'm not quite done. I want to pray a little more. Some went and asked their professors, which I don't know what professor at a Bible college would say, no, you can't pray, come attend class. So some skipped, some got permission, and uh, Scotia's very excited about this. Uh, but they, they went back to chapel or lingered there, and they just kept praying for a little bit, and they started singing and praying, and that didn't stop for, I think, over a week, 24 hours a day. And uh, things kind of got reeled in that they had to lock up the building and clean up, and there was too many people for it to be open all the time. But by the time we got there, service would start at 7 o'clock at night, be over by about 9 o'clock, and then people would linger for another three hours till they had to lock the building at midnight. Uh, it was a wonderful time. A few just unique things that were there. Their service would start with worship. That as people entered in, because the doors were locked until 7, the praise band would be singing. So when you entered in, uh, they didn't enter in in somber reflection. They didn't enter in in fellowship. They found their seats worshiping, and they just worshiped for the start. Uh, another uh, thing to note, there were 150 different college campuses there represented that it all had made the trip um, to experience what God had. Uh, they were salted with hunger, and they were kind of feeding off that uh, energy, the drive to go in together. Um, it, it was very simple. They had a few raw testimonies, a, a testimony each service, um, and it was usually something along the lines of, I have this weakness, and God met me in it, and he is better than what I could do if I were strong, and would call people to pray. Uh, the sermons were incredibly simple, and I'm not sure. It, it felt like they only spoke for five minutes, and it was probably a little longer than that, but uh, just a couple summaries. Um, one was at, said that Jesus told all these stories about these things that were of great value, the field, the pearl, the lost coin, um, and they said that you were that great, valuable thing that Jesus gave up everything to find you. And he's calling us to see him the same way, that he is the great value, that we should abandon all else to find him. So come up to the altar and we'll pray. And that was, that was kind of the whole sermon. Like, that was, that was quick. I'm long-winded, but that was, that was quick. Um, and people would come up and pray, and, and it was beautiful. Another one, they asked... Uh, kind of a startling question. How will you burn out? How will you fail in your faith? Um, that we're all kind of aware of our weaknesses, but we, we tend to wink at them and make allowances for them. And he said, how will you carry the, fat, the passion you have here, that this isn't just a blip on your spiritual journey, but how will you carry this out? Uh, is there a discipline to add, a, a relationship of accountability to start up? But how will you maintain this? What must you nurture to move forward? And another one was on Wesley's bands, uh, his small group, which is just three questions. Um, and I talked about them last spring, but they're really simple questions. How is your soul? Not like, what did you do this week? But how are you doing? Uh, question number one. Question number two, what's God saying to you? What are you learning about him in scripture, in, in word? And number three, uh, how is your relationship with him? And he continued to share the deep impact of accountability and community and 
and called us to have a few people who know all of our faults. I don't know if you have anyone you feel like you can have that with. Um, God said that uh, he forgives us when we confess our sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Uh, But James said that we, we have to confess our sins to each other that we can be healed that we're justified by, before God by confessing to him, which is, is good. Um, but there's wholeness to be found in people knowing our faults. But all of this started when a few people said, oh, I'm, not, I'm not quite done. I know the leader said things are over, but I'm, I'm not ready to move on from this place. And I'd encourage you to have that attitude that when God says, oh, there's a little more, that you wouldn't rush off to lunch or a nap or whatever you have for the rest of your day but that you'd linger before him. Um, anyway, that was uh, my reflections and experience of it and Wyatt. Do you want to come up and share a bit too? Wyatt was one of the guys who got to come down and uh, Ethan. So. Hello. My name is Wyatt DiStefano. I'm sure most of you know me. I'd like to tell you all about an opportunity Ethan and I had during our trip to Asbury for the revival. A few hours into our final night of the revival, Ethan and I were standing next to each other during worship. We had noticed a stranger next to us who had been very engaged throughout the entire service. Later that night, we watched this stranger go up to the front to further engage in the service. Shortly after, Ethan and I went up to the front as well. We spent some time praying and worshiping ourselves but after about 20 minutes or so, we noticed the stranger from before lying down by the altar in tears. We could hear him subtly saying how good God is and thanking him. We also noticed a young boy, maybe around 13 or so, who had kneeled down, placed his hand on the back of the stranger, and began to pray for him. Shortly after seeing this, Ethan and I walked up to the stranger, or Ethan walked up to the stranger, laid a hand on him, and began to pray for him as I followed. The Bible commands us, in many instances, to pray for one another. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, Jesus tells us, But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, and strengthen your brothers. This is not the only time that we're told to do so. In John chapter 17, verse 9, Jesus says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And in James chapter 5, verse 16, We are told, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. This verse continues, but I'd like to focus on that part for this short message. Finally, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, it tells us, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. That verse may not specifically tell us to pray for one another, but I know personally that it can be very comforting to know that somebody is praying for you. This tells me that I should, in turn, be praying for others. To close this up, I was wondering if it would be okay if I'd pray for everyone here. Dear Lord, I just pray that you can give us all the courage to pray for one another. I pray that you help us to find the right words to say at the right moments because you know exactly what it is we're struggling with and what we need to hear. I just pray that you direct our path to those you wish for us to pray for and what about. 
I pray that you can help us become closer with one another as you were with your disciples. I pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, I'm Ethan. I'm the other guy who got to sleep in Brock's car for a night. <laughs> when we were in Asbury, as Brock said, it was mainly focused on worship when you entered. It's all you heard throughout the campus. It's all, it's all you heard entering their chapels. It fueled their entire event, not just worship, but the Holy Spirit was there too, driving their worship. During one of their services, there was a period of time where the band was trying to switch out and there was a few, there's this group of students, I guess, who just wasn't ready to quit again and decided to go even longer and decided to start chanting the lyrics of the song that was in their heart. And they kept it going for another like 20, 30 minutes, whatever it was. It was a really long time, which, you know, worse things or better thing. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to say Brock. <laughs> During our time there, there was just so much worship and amazing prayer for everyone. I got prayed for every service and went up to the altar every time as I heard God calling to me and decided to go up even though, you know, there's other people to pray for. I felt I also kind of needed it. But I got prayed for burnout as a lot of people face and a lot of people struggle with. It's something I struggle with too, as well as loneliness. The entire way there and for previous months, I've had one verse on my heart, Hebrews 10:25. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I've been trying to figure out practical ways of doing this, and I kind of can't figure any out other than the usual men's Bible study or small groups. And I think this is a good example that it doesn't have to be practical for us to meet together and that it shouldn't be. Sometimes we need a radical event to gather together and worship him together and encourage each other, because that's what keeps us going and helps us get through the burnout that we all face, especially after some of these big events. Amen. So God, God is here uh, just like he is there, which is fascinating. Um, and he's accessible to us as we seek him. Um, there's a, a promise he made in the Old Testament that you'll find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And he says somewhere to seek him while he can be found. And here he is today in our presence. And we have this time that we've prepared for him. We call this our service to God. Uh, so I'd encourage you uh, to serve him, to seek him now. Um, as we sing and as we, we hear the word, I encourage you to pray. Uh, to be in his presence, to ask him uh, what he'd have you do or give or be. Uh, he has words of life for you, a path of life. Um, but I think sometimes we can just get on the track and kind of forget to check in, forget to see what he's up to. But God has things for us. Um, so let's, let's seek him now. I'm not a Bible scholar, but I love God's word. I love it. And I've read the Bible again and again and again, and there's lots of, I, I'm pretty dense sometimes. There's lots of things I just read over, and they don't impact me. But I, 
was brought to my attention about when the children of Israel left. How many were there? There was a lot. And the verse I read was that there was not one feeble among them, of all of those oppressed, beaten, abused people. The blood on the, uh, they sacrificed the perfect lamb that night. Perfect lamb, and they, they ate the unleavened bread. And they put the blood on the doorposts of their doors. And it was such a, to me, like a picture of the crucifixion. And then Jesus dies on the cross for us. They were, they were saved and they were delivered and they were redeemed and they were healed. And Jesus died on the cross for us. The finished work of the cross, doing the same thing. He's the same God yesterday, today, and forever. He's I am. He is all the wonderful names that he calls himself, our healer, our redeemer, our deliverer. And I could not sleep the whole night. I was so gobsmacked by the whole thing. I never experienced that before. It was a single verse that just, it kept me awake the whole night. And I just... I, I, I just can't get over how the scriptures tie together and, and everything has meaning, every little word. I, I, I'm just thankful for his next steps and what he's doing and everybody's lives here. Amen. Amen. I want to share something maybe along with that. I, uh, <clears throat> I was reading of the... Uh, veil being torn in the temple. Jesus died, and the, and the Bible tells us in Matthew there that <clears throat> the veil was torn in the temple, and, and the, uh, that veil was the dividing point from the outer temple to the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was where God's presence was. And, uh, and in my mind, I, I thought, we never think about what happened the day after. Because we sort of know what happened the day after, but we never think about it. You know that the priests ran as fast as they could to repair that veil and, and block the Holy of Holies. And um, so, so when Jesus died, he made it so that we could go into the very presence of God. And we have been trying to repair that veil ever since, if you want to think of it that way, so that we don't enter into the presence of God. And, and what's interesting about this Asbury, theology, um, Asbury Revival, as they're calling it at Asbury University and then Asbury Theological Seminary, they're sort of kin to each other, um, is just the sense of God's presence. That's what we've been hearing. Simplicity lots of repentance, lots of prayer, and lots of coming free. And I didn't know yesterday that when we were at Don's uncle's funeral that Julia, her first cousin's daughter, would be flying up from Wilbur. She's a student there. And I said, you're at, you're at Asbury University? She goes, yes. I said, it's been happening. She goes, it's really cool. And she just had a big smile on her face. She goes, it's amazing. And I said, we've been hearing about it and telling people. And she goes, 
I think that's what's supposed to happen. And simple, but we have to enter into the presence of God because we have the privilege to. And we don't want to keep repairing the veil that Jesus took down so that we can go into the Father's presence. And uh, so, praise the Lord. Uh, Brock didn't tell you this part, but it's interesting. He was too old to get in, by the way. He didn't tell you this. He was too old to get in. They had so many that came, they finally limited it to age 25 and under. And since Brock is only 26... He, uh, he had to go to one of the overflow auditoriums, and when he got to the first overflow building, it was a block, a line blocked down the street, and so he went to the second building, if I understand, and that's where he got in. So, so Brock and uh, Ethan and Wyatt were on their own with thousands of others, and Brock was in a, in a video auditorium worshiping the Lord there, and so... Thank you for taking the time to do that, Pastor Brock, and thank you, Ethan, and thank you, Wyatt, for sharing with us today. It's awesome. I want to dive into our message today, and I want to talk to you about the altar of God. I grew up knowing what an altar was, but many people do not know what an altar is, or at least they would be confused if you were to ask, could you define for me what an altar is? Uh, What is its purpose? Are altars just in churches and and what is an altar? We know the certain terms, you know. Um, he left her at the altar. Well, we, we, what do we, know? we sort of think, okay, a wedding, right? And they left her where? At the altar. At the altar? Was she on the altar? Was it a blood sacrifice? No. No, it, she left her at the front of the church. That's what we would be thinking about when we think about altar. I, I grew up from my very earliest days knowing about altars. But I know that the world doesn't or at least has maybe skewed thoughts about what an altar is. My earliest Sunday school moments and understanding some of the Old Testament and the priests, they would sacrifice lambs on the altar to the Lord. That old system of the law and blood sacrifice. I remember Noah building an altar. And I can remember some of the pictures that we had on the wall in our Sunday school days. And Abraham, you remember offering his son Isaac, but God provided a lamb. And so he tested Abraham. Uh, church services would have altar calls. And so at the end, sometimes when, a, when we say, you know what, if God's prompting your heart, you want to come to a place. And, and Wyatt and Ethan talked about going to the altar, to the front area that, that begins to be a sacred place because it sort of represents coming into the presence of God and and making a sacrifice to say, here I am, I'm giving myself to you, or I'm praying about an issue, or I'm confessing my sin, or I'm accepting you as the Lord and Savior of my life. And so I grew up in a time when coming to pray at an altar was was a natural thing. At home, we would have devotions sometimes as a family. And various times, Dad would say, let's gather, and and we would would read the Bible. Uh, Dad always started our our devotions out exactly the same way. I didn't have this in my notes, but he always started out with the same joke. Dad jokes have been going around lately on the, online. Have you noticed that? Well, Dad had jokes, and his joke was, and God said unto Moses, come forth, and he came fifth and lost the race. That was how Dad always started our devotions. <laughs> but we would have devotions, and I came to understand that that's called family. It's called family altar. <laughs> that's what it's called. It's called family altar. That, that families that would have devotion, it would have family 
altar. And so we had family altar. Altars at the front of cathedrals and temples, Christian or non-Christian. You see, altar in itself is not Christian. I, I mean, the altar ends up being dedicated to something. In fact, it, it begins to represent the sacrifice that's being made on the altar. And so just because we use the word altar certainly doesn't mean it's Jesus, and it certainly doesn't mean it's God, because there's a lot of altars that people make a lot of sacrifices on that don't look anything like Jesus, and they don't honor the Lord. I suppose if you begin thinking about how the world would see it, you get into, I was thinking of Machu Picchu. I haven't been to Machu Picchu. I have been to, to Peru, but we didn't get to see the Sun Temple, the ancient Aka Indians that were there, the ancient Incas, rather, that were there, and they had a place of sacrifice to their God, to their deity, and they, they sacrificed. And so people see it as a place of sacrifice. Various cults and various religions ha have altars. And so it begins to be confusing now. Okay, so what, what is altar of God or is it not of God? Uh, there were altars in the Old Testament. In fact, God initiated with Moses to setting up of the, the tabernacle. Some of the altars that were made in the time of Scripture were condemned by God. Uh, there were altars to Baal. Uh, we read about sacrifices to Moloch, to the god Moloch. Some were pleasing to God. God initiated them, and He initiated the, the whole system of animal sacrifice, the, the atonement that somehow the seriousness of our separation from God, the seriousness of our sin, it demanded blood. It demanded something so serious as blood. And of course, now we see differently because we see that it was all a crescendo to the cross where he would send his own son to be the blood sacrifice. All of those things were a shadow. They were all the preparation. They were all the, the pointing toward what would happen and where the altar of our praise would explode because of salvation that was bought for us. And so the question I had then is, what does the altar mean for us? What does it mean for me? Altars throughout the Bible, their main function of the Old Testament priests, their main function was to officiate the temple sacrifices on the altar that were prescribed. I mean, that's what they did for the, the main part. They made those sacrifices on behalf of the, the people, but they were sacrifices that had to be made again and again and again because they weren't lasting to the people's situation, to their sin and the importance of the blood. God told them in Egypt before the last plague, okay? So the, think of the ten plagues. The last plague, he said to them, the blood will be a sign for you on your houses and on your doorpost. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. My destructive plague will not touch you when I strike Egypt. And there we are in Egypt, Vicky. And, and God said, when I see the blood, and, and the power of that blood, he declared it to be so. The power of that blood, that the blood had power in that it represented the faith of the people that were covered by it. Because they were standing behind the, the wall, if you will, that 
blood became a wall. And when we stand in the presence of the Lord to that one day, it won't be because we were good and it won't be because we did this, that, or the other thing. It will be because we are standing behind the veil of the blood of Christ. That's why we'll stand in Jesus' presence. So what is an altar? Well, generally, it's, it's a table often. It's, it's flat, topped, usually. Um, it's used for uh, religious ritual often. In ancient times, it was used for sacrifices or offerings to deities. It was interesting, one definition from an old Webster's that I found, and I couldn't find it again after I found it the first time. I'm glad I copied it. A place of separation where we separate ourselves to God and separate ourselves from curses and generational traits. That was very interesting. But, it, but it's a place of separation. It's a place where we come to and there's a dedication and there's something happens there. There's a sacrifice that's made of ourselves. But who are we going to dedicate that altar to? We hope it's the Lord, right? Altar presumes a sacrifice of some kind, historically most often involving blood. Um, when I, I just did the little word look up in, in, my, in my Scripture program, it was interesting that one of the root words for altar in the Old Testament, one of the root words, it simply means to slaughter, sacrifice, or butcher. So, so inherent in actually the word altar is the concept of sacrifice, of blood, of, of, of butcher. So it's hard to separate the concept of death from an altar because things that go on an altar die. In fact, I'm going to put one verse here on this, and we're going to sort of go in another direction. But God's word to his people in Leviticus, so let's put it up there. Leviticus 17:11. For the life of a creature, God said to his people, is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. <laughs> we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But by the way, this is the real cool thing. I'm going to say it now, and then I'll say it again later. When we give God something... He always gave it to us first. We got nothing. Nothing. When we make a sacrifice unto God, we're giving Him what He already gave to us. Now, I'll come back to that later, but um, He says, I have, um, let, me, let me read the verse again so we get it. I have given it to you <laughs> to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. This is what, what God said. And of course, they couldn't see, like at least we're having the cloud or the, the veil moved back. He was, he was already planning from the foundation of the world to send Jesus to be that blood sacrifice to give himself for us. So the first mention, okay, is everybody, everybody okay? Are you okay? Are you with me? That was our introduction. So the first mention of altar in the Bible is Noah. And I love Noah. Genesis chapter 8, verse 20. We'll put it here. You can turn in your Bible, but we'll be hitting a lot of verses here too. But you might want to turn. This is our main verse today. Genesis chapter 8 and verse 20. Then Noah, why don't we read this one together? Can you see it there? Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed offerings on it. 
Is there one more after that, or did I give you one there? Let's stay there. So he, he made an altar to the Lord, and he, he offered um, clean animals on it. So first of all, right away, if you have read the Bible, and you go, oh, okay, don't give up too many animals right now because you're just getting off the ark, and they came in two by two, right? Okay, so, so if there's two, and one's male and one's female, and you sacrifice, oh, you got a problem. But it was the clean animals, so you got to remember God had already provided, okay? He had already provided the sacrifice that they would make. So in Genesis 7, take with you seven. You didn't know that, did you? No, it's not just two by two. Seven of the clean animals and, and take them on to. And so he didn't take the unclean animals and sacrifice them. First of all, they weren't worth being sacrificed, not, in, not to give your best to God. And second of all, God had provided enough for them to give back to the Lord. And so it says um, he, he built an altar. So by the way, as I, as I begin to sort of research this, um, it's the first time the word altar is used that, that had that Hebrew sense of butcher and slaughter, so the blood element to that. But the concept of sacrifice wasn't new. In fact, if we go back to Genesis 4, 3, and 4, we, we don't see the word altar, but we see certainly the concept of sacrifice. That's where Abel made an offering to the Lord, and Cain made an offering to the Lord or sacrifice to the Lord. But God accepted Abel's sacrifice, but he didn't accept Cain's sacrifice at that time. So we see the concept, but this is the first in Noah that we have the word altar. Noah built an altar. So he had spent, think with me, he had spent many, many years building the ark, building this, this vessel. He and his family had spent a year floating in catastrophic conditions. A flood that had wiped out the whole world it must have been absolutely terrifying. If you've been in rainstorms, and or if you've been at Roblin Camp when it rained on the tin roof, that's as close. I, I in fact, one year, that's exactly what went through my mind. Was it last year or a couple of years ago? It rained so hard. I thought, okay, God, you are giving us an Ark Noah, Mr. and Mrs. Noah Ark experience here at camp. Catastrophic. And on top of that, with animals. Um, Never a dull moment. It's, um, it, was, uh, it was fun for 12 days to look after Mark and Kelly's place and Mara's place. And uh, I called Dawn all week. I called her Mrs. Noah because they have three dogs and there are three cats there in the house and they're fish. And, and so we were like Mr. and Mrs. Noah. It was never a dull moment. They, you know, they, they love you and they want to play with you at 3 in the morning when you're putting wood in the fire. And uh, it, was, it was pretty fun. So there was no dull moments. They had hit all those years building the ark, a whole year in the ark. And, um, and what's the first thing he does? Kiss the ground, right? That's, that's sort of kiss the ground. It says Noah, he built an altar. And it wasn't just any altar. It was an altar to the Lord. It was to Yahweh. And why not? Why would that surprise us one little bit? If we go back to Genesis 6, verse 9, let's put it up there. There it is. Noah, a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked, he walked with God. He walked with God. Um, not only aware of, but was in communion with 
he, he, he had a communion with God, not just an awareness that there was a God, but he walked with God. And so this altar, this sacrifice, it was to the Lord. He wasn't wondering, oh, who do we thank? He wasn't wondering, okay, you know, I'll just thank Mother Nature here because obviously this ark saved us from the flood. He, he knew that God had saved them, and he gave thanks, and he offered praise, and he gave credit to the one who had preserved them. He didn't reserve the credit. He gave it all. And remember Jesus' words after the ten lepers were healed. Were, there not, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Because only one of them came back. Well, well, Noah, he came back. He came to the Lord, first thing, and he offered. He didn't waste any time thanking him. God was his protector, his deliverer, his sustainer, his shelter, and his friend, and that's what God is to us today. Hallelujah. He sacrificed some of the clean animals and the clean birds. God always provides the sacrifice. We participate we participate. We, he still calls us in His sovereignty. He still calls us. We have to make, make that move of offering. But He provides the sacrifice. So remember when Abraham was willing to offer his son Isaac? Genesis 22, verse 8. I think we put it up there. What did, what did Abraham say to Isaac when they were going with the wood to the altar? He said, God Himself my son. God will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. Whatever sacrifice we make is always provided by God. When we give him the sacrifice of praise, it's because he gave us the breath to do it. When we give him our bodies, as what Paul says, it's because he gave us bodies to give. When he get, we give him our service, it's because he gave us a desire and he gave us skills. When we tithe, we're giving back what God is to him. We give offering. He gave it to us. We wouldn't have it any other way. Noah offered these animals on the altar, and then it says, let's go to our next verse. Here it is, Genesis 8, 21. Okay, we read the first part. Now let's read the second part. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of his heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. So the very first question that I had, and we're far enough from lunch I can say this, but did God love the smell of barbecue? Um. <laughs> Don't you, don't you love the smell of barbecue? I mean, just really. Is that what this is about? Because that's, that's what it says. That's what it says. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. There was a barbecue taking place. Um, it's interesting, the word aroma is used several places in Scripture. And uh, th there's an imagery there for sure, because we all sort of understand. We if, if there's one thing we have to understand is the five senses because they're, they're, they're things that we have. And one of those five senses is the smell. And so that sense of aroma, and we, we understand there are aromas that are like, oh, isn't that heavenly? And then there's aromas like, oh, get me out of here, right? We understand that. And, and to God, there were, in Scripture, aromas that were pleasing, and there were those that were detestable. 
Some were pleasing, some acceptable, some unpleasing, some unacceptable. This was an aroma that pleased God, that brought him praise. And, you know, it's our humanness, I believe, trying to understand this. I mean, God is, is communicating his love letter to us as, as we begin to somehow grasp what does it mean to please God. He was pleased with this. The creation in communion with the Creator. This was not like Cain's sacrifice that was unacceptable to God. God was pleased. And there was our word from last week, by the way. We, we talked about what does it mean to please God. That's where we were last week. Pleasing God, how important it is that we find that He's first. Who is first in my life? Who deserves the credit? God was pleased. So let's contrast this then to uh, His pleasure or displeasure in Genesis 6-5. In Genesis 6-5, He sees the direction that creation is taking. And it says, The Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of his thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And then the next verse, verse 6, the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. His heart was filled with pain. The King James Version says his heart was filled, I believe, with grief or it was grieved. The NLT says it broke his heart. The Hebrew word means all of those things, grief, pain, and distress. And so it's such a, such a sort of a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around the God of the universe whose heart is broken, the God of the universe whose heart is distressed and he's grieved, and that God has emotions. He doesn't have feelings, the fickle feelings that we have, but made in his image that the emotions of God and that somehow we can affect the emotions of a holy God? That's, that's a whole other thing to, for our minds to even go down. God's heart was broken. His creation was as far removed from the character, his character, as could possibly be. It no longer reflected his glory. When, when you make a creation, you know, there, we've got people in our church that, that paint and draw and make things with your hands and needlework and woodwork and all kinds of beautiful things. And it, and it reflects. And it, it's an expression of you. And it brings glory to God and we give it to the Lord. And no longer did the creation reflect the glory of God. The inclination of their hearts were... It was the opposite. Because God's... <laughs> I even almost hate to put it in such a, his inclination. God doesn't have an inclination. He is that he is, but, but he was holy. He was love. That's what John tells us. God is love. Psalm 99, God is holy. And so Noah, all of that, the whole world, God was grieved. His heart was broken. And so we contrast, now Noah affects the emotions of his creator. And he brings a pleasing, finally, some, finally some Febreze. <laughs> Fi finally, something that pleases God. At the altar, he offered up a pleasing aroma. And it caused God to be pleased, and it also God moved God's heart. God acted in that pleasure. 
It says, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though every inclination of the heart was evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures and all as I have done. I won't do that anymore. It's at the altar of praise that we bring joy to God, and it's also at the altar of God. It is here that we begin to see the hand of God at work. And I think this verse, in a simple kind of way, sort of informs how we pray. It, it informs our prayer. When we come and we make that altar, and, and it doesn't have to be a stone tablet. It can be the altar of your bedside, and it can be because uh, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and His altar is now uh, within us, and we make that sacrifice of praise with our lives and our bodies and our minds to Him, right? Now, it informs how we pray. Second Chronicles seven 14, I've put it on the screen. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. This whole Asbury thing, it just seems to be marked by, by simple but profound young people coming into repentance. And, and uh, as, you, as I listen, and Don was playing me, I wish I had one clip for you. Maybe we'll show it again next week. I don't know. But um, it just said, it just seems that God has visited a young generation for the first time with his presence and they need to hear the presence of God. It's not enough for our young people. There's some young people here and some aren't. It's not enough for you to hear all the cognitive. We're so cognitive. We're all about giving the Word of God, and that's super important. Study to show thyself approved unto God. It's His Word. But we have got to let the Word go from our heads to our heart. And so many times as preacher, we're guilting to preaching to your minds but not preaching to your hearts, and the Holy Spirit wants to preach to our hearts today. We need people who are going to be ready and willing to build altars onto the Lord in their life and make the sacrifice of praise on it. So there, I'm giving away the end of the message. There it is right there. That's, that's what we need. That's what we need. If my people will turn from their wicked ways, then he acts. I will hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land, okay? And so he brought the, 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 he built the altar. He dedicated it to the Lord. God smelled the pleasing aroma of faith. And by the way, it's faith. How do I know that? Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Noah. It, 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 there was faith. There was trust in God. He trusted God. And boy, I'll tell you what. If we have excuses about our circumstances causing us to doubt God, I don't know even if, well, Job can for sure, but Noah and Job, they're the top ones. He had circumstances that would cause you to doubt God. <laughs> but he trusted God and it was counted to him as righteousness, is what it said in Hebrew, this pleasing aroma. And out of that, God acted. And he said, I'm not going to do this again. I'm making a covenant. And he put that rainbow in the sky. Listen, uh, the, the pride rainbows, they don't own the rainbow. God owns the rainbow. He owns the rainbow. He does. And I'm not going to do that again. I'm never going to destroy the earth. He made that, that promise to them. So Noah built an altar to the Lord. And mankind has been building altars before. They had been before and, and ever since. Altars to other gods they've built altars to. Gods of Baal and Moloch honoring themselves. Uh, people like Nebuchadnezzar, who demanded the three Hebrews bow down to his image. 
Israelites after Egypt still persisted in creating a golden calf, the idol, and they sacrificed to it. Today we build altars and we, we sacrifice to pleasure and we, we sacrifice to ourselves and we sacrifice to money and we sacrifice to sex and we sacrifice to relationships. And the stench lingers, this unacceptableness. But there are those who will dare to walk in Noah's footsteps and build an altar to the Lord, pleasing altars, altars of praise and recognition of who's in charge. And altars of thanksgiving and, and altars of worship and altars of repentance and brokenness. Altars of reality that declare that God is God and that I am not God and He is in charge and I'm not in charge and it belongs to Him and it doesn't belong to me and, and it's about His character and it's not about me. It's about me becoming like Him and it's the longing of heart. And so loving the Lord with all your your soul, mind, heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving with what we have, what He's given us, we give back because God always provides the sacrifices. So it continues. Abraham built an altar. Uh, Genesis 12, 8. We're going to move along here. But from there, all, uh, he goes down to the Bethel. And it says, there Abraham built an altar to the Lord and he called on the name of the Lord. And we're going to have to call on God's name. In Genesis 26, Abraham's son Isaac, he takes up the mantle. And in Genesis 26, 25, Isaac built an altar there. And he called on the name of the Lord. And then Isaac's son Jacob in Genesis 35. This one's a really interesting. We're going to pause at this one. Genesis 35. So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him. Now I'm going to read the uh, end of the verse first. Then come, let us go to Bethel where I will build an altar to God. So he's going back to Bethel. So he's going back to, to dad's place. That's where Abraham built an altar. And Isaac built one there too. And I'm going back there, and I'm building an altar, and I'm building it to the Lord. This is Jacob the deceiver. He's come through sort of the grinder of God's goodness, and he's been, God's been bringing him to a new place, and I'm building an altar, and it's going to be to God. But let's read the middle of the verse. What's he say to his family? Because he's got this big family, and they're a pretty eclectic bunch. Get rid of your foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. He began to understand, if you're going to come into God's presence, you've got to get ready for that. You, you got, you, it changes us. We're in Lent right now, right? That season of 40 days leading up to, to uh, Easter. What, what is Lent all about? It's just a reminder of preparation of our hearts. It's, it's a reminder to us that we just come and we bow and we come to the cross and we recognize that we got nothing if we don't got Jesus. And he's the one who saved us. He's the reason I can go to a funeral yesterday and have a great time because Uncle Murray loved Jesus with all of his heart and we just do not grieve as the world that has no hope. Our hope is in Jesus. And if it weren't for Jesus, we got no hope. We got nothing. So, right? And so, Jacob knew they were coming into the presence of God. So get rid of your foreign gods. Purify yourselves. Uh, change your clothes. <laughs> now listen, uh, this is not a proof text for dressing up on Sunday morning. And, and the reason I say that, I don't think it's wrong to dress up on Sunday morning, but it used to be there was a lot of emphasis on dressing up to go to church. And uh, the problem with that is all through history, 
including till now, we're, we're, we're good at the outside, but we're not as good at the inside. And what is God most concerned about? The inside. So, you know, the Pharisees, were they looked good. They, I don't think three-piece suits are really in now. I'm not really sure. But they were the three-piece suit guys. But underneath, they were, they were wearing torn underwear. Right? <laughs> By the way, that was not in my notes. Honestly, it was not. I've never thought that before this moment. But they... <laughs> Underneath, he said, you're like, a, you're like a tomb with dead man's bones. And you look, you've got all the image management down. So what was Jacob doing? He was understanding. He was coming to a greater understanding of the glory of God. Get ready. Get ready for God is what he was saying. There's a whole sermon in that. It's, it's awesome. So they got ready. And so then it goes on. And, and we are coming to a close. Moses built an altar then to the, to the Lord. He built the entire tabernacle. God used him to sort of really start to bring the shadow of things to come. Right? That's what we find out later on. All of those things, all of the instruments in the tabernacle, all of the, the tent of meeting, all of the altar, all of the, the holy... It was all a shadow, a glimmer a pointing forward to the, to the real sacrifice. The, the lambs were important. They were necessary. But they were just the trickle before salvation's landmark. Joshua built an altar to the Lord. David built an altar to the Lord. Each one had influence on the other, but each one had to build their own altar to the Lord. Noah's sacrifice wasn't enough for Abraham, and Abraham's sacrifice wasn't enough for Isaac. Blood offerings, animal sacrifices, sin offerings, thank offerings, each altar, a moment in time, the aroma, a pleasing aroma of, of lifting up our God who deserves all of the glory. He deserves it all. But every altar, an accumulation, an adding to the aroma, but every altar pointing to the greatest sacrifice yet to come, but grandma and grandpa's altar isn't enough for you. And it's not enough for me. Mom and dad's altar is not enough for you. There's going to have to come a time, Jacob, when you're going to have to build your own altar. And you're going to have to dedicate it to God. And you can't use the pleasing aroma of Father Abraham any longer. It's going to have to become a, an aroma of your heart and faith unto God. And so now the sacrifice of Jesus arrives. The next day, I think we were on the screen here, right? John says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the real Lamb has arrived. And it all pointed to him. He became the priest, and he was the altar, and he was the sacrifice. Hebrews 7.27, I've put it there too. Unlike the other high priests, Jesus, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. He was the sacrifice. The building of altars continues, but it's changed a bit. Our sacrifice is a response. 
to his sacrifice. No more lambs needed because our lamb has done it. It's now the sacrifice of praise and the giving of ourselves and the cleansing of our hearts to become like him, to have the fruit of his Holy Spirit beginning to live itself out so that we reflect the glory of God. We're supposed to have lives like that. and It's only going to be a God thing that helps us to reflect God's glory because our human nature, our fallen sinful human nature, the inclination of the heart of mankind does not bring glory to God naturally because we were separated from God. And so it's going to be a God thing. He died so that we could go into his presence. He took the veil down, and we've been trying to put the veil back up. But he's tearing it down today, and he's calling us into his presence. We continue to worship at the altar, and then Paul brings such what I consider such great clarification. And uh, I'd like us to stand and read this this morning. Can we do that? Let's stand. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. This... This just brings such amazing clarification. What is the sacrifice, you know? What do, I, what do I sacrifice? What is the sacrifice, Lord, that I'm supposed to bring? My dad followed you, but what am I supposed to bring? What is Bert's altar? What, what is the sacrifice? Let's read it out loud. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. We offer ourselves. We give him ourselves because he's worthy of nothing less than all we got. I mean, really, this is all I got. It's all you got. Right? So it's really like he gave all he had. Give him all you got. And that brings pleasure to the heart of God. I can't build your altar, and I can't make your sacrifice. I sort of have come to an awareness on Sunday mornings. I think God helps us to try to set a table, but, but you can't make anybody eat. Right, moms and dads? We've all been there. <laughs> Poor Mark. Do you remember all the times Dad tried to make you eat things? <laughs> Sorry, never be the brother of the pastor speaking. That's, we've all been there. You can't make somebody eat. But God has set the table. He's torn the veil down. His presence is available to us. And so on Sunday mornings, it's a table that's set for us. And he calls us into his presence. Do I 100% know what that means? I, I don't <laughs> to this moment. I know it means that we've all got to build an altar. Well, the altar of praise, the altar of ourselves. And right now the Holy Spirit is probably talking to your heart about the very thing that you're going to have to put on that altar. Because altars are a place of death. That hasn't changed. It's a place of death. It's a place where we die. Each one of us must bring their praise. Each of us must offer themselves. I'll just close with this. And I, I hadn't planned this at all, but this was a God thing. Yesterday I was in line, in the funeral line, talking to different people at Don's uncle's funeral. Pastor Don McGlashing was there. He's from Trenton Wesleyan Church. And I said, uh, Pastor Don, who's preaching tomorrow? I am. 
So my favorite question is, what are you preaching on? And he told me, he's preaching from John. He's preaching on the great love of God. He said, what are you preaching on? And I said, I'm preaching on the altar. I've never preached on the altar. I'm excited to preach on the altur about the altar. And, and he said, I've got to tell you something. When I first went to the ordination council, when I first entered into the process of ministry, I spelled altar wrong in all my documents, in the paper that I gave in. And I should have put it on the screen, but I didn't. But he spelled it A-L-T-E-R. But altar is spelled A-L-T-A-R. And we had a little laugh over that. And then I got thinking, no, no, Don, you, you got it right. You, you got it right. Because the altar is where we offer ourselves unto God. And then God alters us. We give to him what he gave to us. He provided the sacrifice. He provided it all. All we are called to do is bring it to the altar and give it to him. And he still does it all. He gives back to us and he makes us have the character, the inclination that brings the sweet aroma. And then we're just ready to bring another offering and another offering and another offering of praise and song and thanksgiving and glory to God because he's our God. Man, this is Easter. This is, this is Lent. This is what it's about for us. What really made the sacrifices acceptable, their faith in the Hebrews. It was the heart of faith. And I'll give you one last verse. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says, For we are to God the aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Let's be the aroma of God. Let's offer him our praise. Um, I didn't sort of know that I was going to be so emotional in bringing this. I've been, I'm quite excited in my spirit to preach this to you. But God wants your emotions. He wants your heart and your mind. He wants our thinking and our passion. He, he wants our behavior. He wants how we feel and how we think. Wow, there's a lot there. Heavenly Father, in this silent moment, there's those that need to build an altar to the Lord. And I'm asking, oh God, that you would help them as they take that step. It may be the first altar that they've ever built. They've, they've ridden on the, the shoulders of church and grandpas and grandmas and moms and dads and, every, and pastors and people. But they've never built an altar unto the Lord. It came a point where Jacob had to build his own altar. And he had to make that sacrifice. He had to give himself. And I pray, God, that you would move us today to take that step and give ourselves to you. In the quietest, we're just going to sit, stand before the Lord just for a couple moments. And if you need to come to the altar, you come to the altar. You come to this place. It's, it's a place of, of sacrifice. You do it. 
Give it to the Lord. You do it. Just give it to God. It's not a show, and it's not for anybody. It's not for me. It's just a giving it to God. It's us before God. It's just us here. Gracious. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would teach us what it means to be your people. We live in a a flood time of catastrophic proportions. We live with a lot of inclination of hearts that are bringing a stench to you. But in the midst of that, would you cause us to be salt and light? Would you help us to be that pleasing aroma of Christ as we allow you to have your way and we walk in faith and we walk in trust and we offer ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you today. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for your goodness, Heavenly Father. We give you all praise, all praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is worthy. Christ the Lord. One more time. I'll give him all the glory. I'll give him all the glory. I'll give him all the glory. Christ the Lord. Lord bless you. Let's be really tender here. Come and pray. Let God have it. Have a great week. Continue this spirit of prayer all week long. Amen.